Hey, Manufacturing World. Welcome to another episode of Shop Matters, sponsored by Akuma America. I'm your host, Wade Anderson, and today I'm joined in the studio by John Wiley with Qualichem. Today we're going to talk about all the things uh, coolant-related, um, which I think is one of the most overlooked parts of the actual chip-making process. So, John, welcome to the show. I appreciate you, you coming down. Thank you, Wade. Thank appreciate being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, um, I've been with Qualichem now for 10 years. This is the third uh, metalworking fluid manufacturer I've worked for. Uh, started at IMTS in 1992, so almost almost 30 years in the business. Um, always really metalworking fluid, so I have a pretty uh, diverse background in that. Okay. And, Very uh, good. Yeah. So, I guess, tell me a little bit about how you go to market. Um, t- tell us a little bit about Qualichem in general. Yeah, so uh, the guys that started Qualichem about 15 years ago, um, they all came from different, bigger manufacturers. Uh, and one of the things that they believe strongly in is that um, this is a people business, very relationship-driven. Uh, we, we use that then, and we go to, we go to market via distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very talented sales engineers in the field who understand the applications, what can go right, what can go wrong, uh, how to help the customers get the most of the product, and we support the distributors then in the selling process. Uh, the distributors provide the local inventory, the local relationships, and uh, that's been the model we've used for success now for the last 15 years. Okay. Now, you mentioned IMTS. You guys are, I'm sure, just like us, wide open, full steam ahead, getting ready for IMTS. Do you have anything new that you're going to be rolling out for the show? Yeah. So this year, we're going to we're gonna take a little bit different approach than we had in the past. We you know, we, we haven't really highlighted our technical capabilities and our lab capabilities as much in the past as we'd like to now because uh, we're realizing more and more that's one of the differentiators for ourselves. Um, so we're going to make that part of the booth experience in addition to, of course, the, you know, the actual user end experience of the product. And then we've been exploring a couple new uh, base oil technologies that... Um, you know, we started it in the straight oil product line first, where you know, like Swiss style machines and whatnot would be using. Uh, but we've managed now to incorporate those base oils into the types of fluids you'd see being used in an Akuma. Uh, so we're going to highlight those. They're, you know, they bring to the table some interesting benefits with respect to cleanliness, longevity. Um, they also, they're, they're base oils that are derived from natural gas. Mm. Uh, one of the big refining companies figure out how to convert natural gas into a liquid oil. Um, so you get a lot of benefits of some of the more highly refined base stocks that are crude oil derived okay. um, without all the refining time and processing because natural gas is naturally very clean. So a lot of what you would take out of crude oil doesn't exist in natural gas. So the benefit is you get a lot of the characteristic benefits without the price of a highly refined product. Um, okay. And we're, we're really, we were the first ones uh, in the U.S. to start employing this base oil technology. Uh, so we have a head start on everyone else, and we've got a pretty broad range of products. It's actually one of the products we'd like to uh, introduce to you guys over at the Think Center. Okay, excellent. So you brought up uh, Think. Obviously, yeah. that's a, a big part of my world, the Partners in Think yeah. uh, program with Okuma. Tell us a little bit about your view and your partnership and, and how you see that program working for Qualicam. Yeah, so we've been, I think we've been involved with Partners in Think since about 2012, thereabouts, maybe 2011. Um, 
I'm a big believer in the participation uh, with Akuma. Um, it was, you know, again, about almost 10 years ago that we were invited down. I think it was Rick Kimmins who was involved with that. Um, we were able to demonstrate to Akuma and one of your other partners at the time our, our capabilities with controlling foam. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very early on one of the, you know, characteristics that we really differentiated ourselves from the competition. You know, back in 2008, 2009, when a lot of things had slowed down in the marketplace, a lot of our competitors weren't innovating. They were just kind of taking a defensive position. Uh, we were very new at the time. Uh, we have a really excellent formulator who focused on, you know, what is the competition not doing? And nobody was really addressing uh, the root causes for foam. Um, so we put a couple products together. I should say he did. Um, I joined the company a little bit later. Um, but our, our ability to show you guys what we could do with foam control led to the invitation to be a part of Partners and Think. Um, and as you mentioned in your intro, um, you know, coolant's often a very overlooked component in the shop and the manufacturing mm-hmm. process. Um, so, you know, we, we, we try to offer ourselves, as you guys know, you know, we're, we're always available to, um, to assist the application engineers in projects. You know, if there's a, you know, I think it was Matt we worked with recently, he had a project that he was looking for specific characteristics. So we sent in a product specific to that project. Um, you know, we, we also take the approach, most of your application engineers have a, a favorite QualiChem product that they, you know, it's sort of a go-to. It's sort of a jack of all trades. It's good for aluminum, good for titanium, can be used for cast iron, carbon steels, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, um, you know, we enjoy the opportunity to kind of put a best case scenario in products that are specialized from a, you know, from a cost perspective, but also a benefit perspective for the, for the user, such as, you know, products that are specialized for titanium or products that are specialized for aerospace aluminums or, um, you know, the oil and gas industry. I was on a call yesterday with, um, some Akuma people down in Houston. Uh, we're looking to put together a demo for a couple guys down there. Mm-hmm. You know, and the oil and gas industry is very different than the aerospace industry. And, right. Um, so, you know, we've got a broad range of products that, you know, can be very specific to the applications or, you know, very job shop oriented, do a little bit of everything. Right. Okay. So I, I get called to go to customers uh, every once in a while. A lot of times it's um, problem related. Uh, customers got an issue in the field. It's went to a certain level. I get a phone call to go down and take a look at things and, and either try to sort it out or find the right people that can sort it out. Yep. Um, and coolant and filtration. I'm going to do a, a separate podcast later uh, with a company regarding solely the filtration side of things. But coolant is something that most customers, I can't say all of them, there's some that are really tuned in, but a lot of customers, they it's just whatever they've got in their shop. So if they're running aluminum or they're running titanium, they're pulling coolant out of whatever drum they already had sitting in the shop. They bring it over, put it in the machine. And then like aluminum, for an example, the fines. I know there's different types of coolants that will allow fines to, to basically flow through the coolant, yep. get to the bottom of the tank. Other ones tend to aerate. Um, and a lot of times the, the fines, when they're floating, it's usually an aeration uh, problem with the coolant itself. So what's, I mean, what do you see in the field when, when you're going out and say a, Let's look at an aluminum application, for sure. example. 
what would you do? What would those steps look like? And then what products would you try to recommend? Uh, well, uh, you know, we usually need to step back and take a look at how the customer does things from a sort of 30,000 foot view. Um, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of shops will just use what they have or, you know, they're buying from somebody local that they trust and know and don't really evaluate the product characteristics per se. Um, you know, so if a customer has a machine and a filtration system and a material mix, we have to provide something that's going to work with all of that. Mm -hmm. Usually the capital investment stuff gets selected first, and then we've got to put something in that's going to work with it. So depending on how the filtration system set up, sometimes you want the fines to be carried with the coolant so it gets to the filtration system. Um, in certain applications, you want the fines to drop out because you want them to the conveyor and the conveyor processes them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, each application is a little bit different. Um, you know, we're working on a project right now uh, with some companies up in the Bay Area that, uh, you know, they need two micron filtration capability. Uh, they're using some really small diameter drills. It's, uh, you know, for semiconductor components. Mm. Um, you know, and one of the things that we've been able to demonstrate with the, to these companies is our ability to, you know, the particle size of the metal working fluid, for example, you know, it's not something that gets discussed very often. Um, but for the most part, you know, with our extreme cut 250, I think you guys are using the 251 in, in the think center, We are. Yeah. uh, the 251, for example, the average particle size is around 0.16 microns. Hmm. Um, so when you're filtering it at two microns, you know that the fluid itself is going to be passing through. The filters get to do what they're supposed to do. You're not clogging the drills up with, you know, particles that in some cases you can barely even see because the holes in some of those drills are ridiculously small. Um, you know, so that allows the filtration to work the way it's supposed to. allows your high-pressure system to push the coolant through the drills the way it's designed to. So it's really, you know, like I said, we don't usually get to select the best case scenario. We have to work with the conditions that exist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I often point out to guys in the shops that there's very few things that touch everything in the manufacturing process the way a coolant can. The purchasing guy gets involved, the production people get involved, programmers get involved, maintenance guys get involved, mm -hmm. HR gets involved because the operators need to be happy with the coolant. Is it affecting their skin? Do they like the way it smells? You know, environmental guys get involved, safety guys get involved. You know, you don't really see that with, you know, cutting tools or machines or anything else, really, that a shop will buy. Um, so in addition to trying to select something for the manufacturing processes, which, which is what we enjoy doing, mm -hmm. you know, helping customers get the most out of their process, but then you got to factor all those other things into the equation. So it's... Um, I would say in maybe 20% of the scenarios are we actually getting to recommend a product solely based on what we can deliver from a productivity perspective hmm. and providing a benefit. Right. Sometimes it's, I can't have this chemical, I can't have that chemical, so what are my options? Right. And then you go in with sort of, okay, well, with those restrictions, here's what we have. Okay. So, John, you mentioned earlier about uh, foaming and how the products you developed um, are superior from a, a foam control standpoint. If I'm a manufacturer and I'm running a LB3000 lathe, for an example, if I'm witnessing foaming issues, what steps do I look for? What What do you guys do as a company to come in and help solve those problems? Sure. Well, from, from a troubleshooting perspective, I mean, the number one thing anytime you're using a water dilutable coolant is making sure that you're running at the proper concentration. 
um, because a lot of shops struggle with managing concentration effectively and consistently enough where you can't overlook that that's probably, you know, let's say six times out of 10, the cause, mm-hmm. uh, the concentration is either allowed to go up too, too high, um, or in some cases too low actually can cause you issues because you're not getting enough of what will control the foam into the coolant itself. So, you know, after ruling out uh, concentration as a cause of foaming or a contributor, um, looking at water quality is the next step. Understanding, you know, is the customer using city water? Are they using treated water? Why are they using treated water? Um, Because water with mineral content here in the Carolinas, the water tends to be soft to medium hardness, and Mm -hmm. most shops don't need to treat the water. So you get some natural defoaming characteristics from the water itself. Uh, you travel a lot. You've probably seen when you've been in hotels and regions where the water is so terrible, they got to soften it before you shower. Yeah. It feels like it takes forever to get the soap off you your body. You walk out, yeah. It feels like you've drowned yourself in bleach trying yes. to get out. Yeah. So that, you know, in, in markets where, like Arizona, for example, probably 90% of the shops need to treat their water before they use it. Hmm. Those shops have a higher tendency towards experiencing foam because the minerals that would otherwise help prevent foam aren't there. Mm-hmm. So again, knowing that you build your product around, um, you know, at least, at least we do the understanding that, okay, there's some components we can't rely on not coming from the water now. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you build your product? So one of the things that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, back in, you know, the early two thousands, when they started formulating a quali chem, the traditional approach with controlling foam was put in defomer into the concentrate. Mm-hmm. The defomer floats to the surface, the bubbles pop, you don't have foam. Problem is, as high pressure became more prevalent, and high pressure usually incorporates filtration, defomers can be filtered out. Uh, so that's another part of the troubleshooting process is understanding are there accessories that will What kind of filtration to- units are they using? Exactly. And, okay. You know, usually... The guys that develop the systems will say, okay, you, you know, go with the lowest micron size you can on the filter. Um, that's not often always necessary. So trying to work with either the filter guy or the high pressure guy and understanding really what's necessary because um, deformers can be filtered out. Uh, but one of the things that we do is um, we work diligently on when we formulate not using the chemistries that are more prone to foaming in the first place. Okay. Um, so there's a lower reliance or sometimes no reliance on defomers themselves, um, which allows us, as, as, we've, as we've done globally, to comfortably walk into shops that are running deionized or reverse osmosis water that's purified. Um, the mineral content is gone, so those natural defomers are gone. Um, we easily work with companies that, you know, that have treated water, and we're not afraid of 1,000 PSI, 1,500 PSI. Once you start going above those, you know, then, then you, again, you sort of have to evaluate the technology you bring to the table. And, cool. you know, we have, we have a variety of products that are suitable for, you know, 2,000 plus. So that was a, a question I had. Um, you kind of led right into it. But we're seeing pressures on uh, demands from customers on pressures for through spindle coolant, things of that nature, driving up. Uh, at, a, at a very rapid rate. Yeah. You know, for a long time, high pressure was considered 1,000 PSI. Um, standard might be you know, 100 to 300. Yeah. And then you kind of make that jump up to 1,000. Um, now it's commonplace for the high nickel alloys to see 2,000, 3,000 PSI. 
does that change uh, your focus from a coolant uh, technology standpoint, what you would recommend on the machines? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, 2000 plus, you, you really start to test the ability of a product, not just to not foam, but to not just split apart and you know, high high speed face mills present the same challenge. Um, Define that a little more. Split apart. Well, what, so what does that mean? If I'm a most most of the coolants on the market are there's an oil, there are emulsifiers. You you create a situation uh, where the metal working the coolant is you know suspended oil droplets and other additives not separating naturally from the the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are forces such as, you know, really high speed face milling, for example, or in some cases, uh, pump design um, that can challenge the chemistries that keep the coolant together. Okay. Um, so, you know, as you, as you get into scenarios where you are 2000 plus PSI, you, you have to go in with the right product technology that it's one is going to stay together, two, it's not going to foam. And three is actually going to bring to the table a benefit that it's worth having in the machine in the first place. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, 2,000 PSI, if you were to just put straight water in the machine, you're likely to have foaming. Mm. Now, not foaming the same way you would have if you were to pour some soap into the tank then. Right. Um, but, you know, it's 2,000 PSI, 3,000 PSI is is a challenge. Okay. No, that's interesting. Yep. To back up a little bit, you mentioned um, the concentration levels and making sure that the concentration um, is correct. How much, I, I guess, one, is there, um, you know, how do customers know what they should be running? And then two, how many people are you seeing adopt automatic uh, technology that automatically adjusts and uh, feeds to the machine tools? I know we've got offerings from an Akuma standpoint. Yep. I know there's third-party uh, companies that have offerings as well. Are you seeing that implemented much in the field? Well, in the almost 30 years I've been in the industry, we, we've seen that trend, you know, it'll surface, and then there are some challenges that kind of put it back down to where guys just going to do it manually. Um, more and more as shops are trying to reduce their dependency on labor mm-hmm. to do things and to automate because – we're in an industry where the more you can do in an automated way, the more consistent your output. Um, you know, some of the longstanding challenges with automated concentration control is allowing the, you know, see what you typically do is you put light through the coolant and you measure the amount of the refraction, the amount mm-hmm. of the light bends as it goes through the fluid. That's usually translated into a concentration. There's usually a conversion to do that. The ability to keep that lens or objective clean um, has historically been the challenge. And the companies that can do that generally have um, an easier time with an automated process. Mm -hmm. As far as, um, you know, how a customer knows what concentration to run, um, ourselves and most coolant manufacturers will design a coolant with sort of, here's the minimum concentration where you're not going to have rust and corrosion and problems. Mm -hmm. Here's the maximum concentration where you're not going to suffer from skin irritation, paint coming off the machine, foaming, et cetera, et cetera, and just general waste. For the sake of our discussion, you know, let's say most coolants are designed to operate from a 5% volume in water to up like 12%. Mm-hmm. Depending on the customer's objective, their style of manufacturing, if they're really looking to push things and get the most out of their tooling, generally we tend to try to steer the customers towards the higher end of that spectrum. Um, normally, the more lubricity, the more additives you're delivering into the you know point of cut, 
the more your tools are going to last, the better surface finishes you're going to have, the more ability you're going to have to carry the fines out of the cutting zone. Um, you know, if you're running down closer to, you know, the minimum concentration, it doesn't take much for an operator. Maybe he overfills the tank too much water. Now you're at 3%. Now you don't have enough corrosion control for your, you know, carbon steels, your cast iron. Right. So we, I would say the vast majority of our customers are running somewhere like 7 to 8% concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other, the other important discussion with respect to concentration is understanding what you're, what the fluid you're using actually, when you use a refractometer or an automated system, um, what are you actually looking at? Because um, a refractometer will measure, you know, not in a very technical term, stuff in water. <laughs> Um, so a lot of our products, like the 251 that you guys use at the Think Center, right. is what we would call direct read. Hmm. So if a guy's using a refractometer and the refractometer shows seven bricks, because that's the scale that refractometers use, you're at 7% by volume. Mm-hmm. Some coolants will have what's called a refractometer conversion or refractometer index, where if your refractometer says seven, there's a multiplier, maybe it's 1.5 or something. So your actual volume of concentrate somewhere around 10% or 11%. And the reason for that conversion is because some of the concentrates, the stuff you're diluting with water, already has water in it. Okay. So you're, you're, you're compensating for that in the measurement. So it's good, you know, to work with a reputable coolant manufacturer that helps you understand, you know, because sometimes their customers are led to believe, well, you're running at 3% because that's what the refractometer says. Mm-hmm. And then they ignore the fact that there's a three conversion factors. So you're actually 9% by volume. Right. So sometimes it. it's harder for customers to make a good judgment about, well, I've got this other vendor here saying I got to use uh, their, their stuff at 8%, but I'm, I'm using mine today at three. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not really using it at three. You're, you're at 9%. So you're, right. you know, it's a calculation. It's a calculation. And so, so understanding that's part of what a you know, good coolant manufacturer will help the customers understand. Um, but yeah, maintaining, you know, I, I've always told customers maintaining concentration properly is about 70 to 75% of the work of the coolant maintenance program. Mm-hmm. The next step after that is let's deal with the contaminants, you know, the tramp oils that might get in there. Um, you know, that's another 15, 20% of the process. And then in, in uh, surface finish intensive applications, you want to get the fines out. Right. You know, whether it's grinding or reaming or, you know, any type of work. And now more and more with high pressure and the filtration demands there, it's a, it's a bigger component. Mm-hmm. But if you do, if you have good concentration control, the vast majority of coolant issues that companies have wouldn't exist. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So from a, a John perspective, What's the top three things you want customers to know and remember about Qualichem? Um, well, we're, we're a technology-based company. Um, you know, we focus on not just making coolants that won't cause problems, because we have those. Um, but we, we, we really like to work with companies where we can show them a, a productivity advantage. And that's one of the reasons we, we like working with Akuma, because mm-hmm. it's about, you know, helping the customer advance their process. Um, you know, we're, we're a people and relationship driven company. You know, we have resources available to help the customers that need it. Um, you know, whether it's from a troubleshooting perspective or an optimization perspective. Um, and we are, you know, we're, we're, we're a global company. Mm-hmm. So we're aware of all the regulations globally. We're formulating from the perspective of, you know, we're always keeping our eye on what 
regulations might impact manufacturing next from a from a metalworking fluid perspective. You know, so the customers that are working with us know that, you know, whatever changes might be around the corner, we're already formulating and understanding how that might impact our, our customers wherever they might be located. Okay, excellent. How do they find you? Um, well, the, we have a website. That's, uh, you know, the way I would say, you know, maybe 20% of our new customers find us. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we do sell through distribution, the vast majority of, of new customers we we put on come through the relationships we're managing with the distributors. Okay. Um, you know, we, um, we are, we are looking to expand our presence on the internet and allow some of those shops that might not have the resources or the time to deal with distribution to still find us, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're doing stuff now on YouTube. We're, you know, working on this podcast with you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say for the most part, most new customers find us through our relationships with distribution. Okay. Fantastic. So John here lately, I've been super focused, um, understanding return on investment and and value for customers how do we make them more productive um how do we look at their overall process and and find you know where do we get a a greater return on their investment and i find um the efficiency tends to be what moves the needle the most from a bank account standpoint Uh, from a return on investment to customers from a coolant perspective what are you seeing um well uh, you know kind of along those lines you keep the machine running you're making money. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to coolants, keeping the machine running means, you know, not having foaming problems that shut you down, not having sumps that need to be changed out every two, three, four, five, six months because they're rancid. You know, so using a good product the right way and, you know, training customers is part of what we do. You know, keep that coolant in the machine for 12, 18, 24 months so you're not spending time on maintenance and, um, you know, preventive maintenance type operations, your, you know, your, your operators are spending time with the spindle making parts. Um, so just getting more out of a product that lasts longer. That's one of the things that we talk to the customers about. Um, and then in, you know, the certain scenarios where customers do pay attention to tool life and productivity and cycle time, and they allow us to recommend the best product for their application, getting the tools lasting longer, you know, so there's fewer, you know, fewer, change outs or however the machine might be set up um but getting more out of the machine that you've invested money in you know keep it running 10 percent longer per month because you're not dealing with change outs on the tooling or dealing with clamps or vices that you can't change because they're rusted to the right the table mm-hmm. um you know i would say more often than not we're justifying our existence by helping customers reduce costs associated with keeping the coolant in good condition you know, and then there's a smaller percentage of times when we're, you know, when we're really given that opportunity to help customers improve their productivity and keep the machines running, you know, the spindle turning longer. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for another episode of Shop Matters. Uh, John, I really want to thank you for your time today. I learned a lot about coolant uh, and really understanding the value um, that Qualichem brings to the table for customers and how they could be more productive uh, for, for the long haul and look at coolant in a different light. I appreciate being here, Wade, and uh, it was a pleasure. All right. So if you have questions, uh, comments, please reach out to us at akuma.com slash shop matters. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.